Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Sid, co-founder and CEO of WizHire, a small business hiring platform that's raised over $37 million in funding. Sid, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, Brett, thanks for having me on. Love what you're doing. Thanks so much. And could you go ahead and say your last name for the listeners as well, please? <laughs> yeah, uh, Sid Abadiai, co-founder, CEO at WizHire. Nice, there we go. How do you hire? You know, where's that last name come from? Let's start with that. Yeah, so it's a Gujarati last name. My parents grew up in India. And uh, yeah, that's the backstory. <laughs> and you said in the pre-interview that you were born in Africa. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So the backstory is my uh, my parents were working in Uganda and Kenya, Malawi, following, let's just say, like, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty, like, crazy time there in the early 90s. They were actually food technologists. So they grew up you know, working on problems that you and I take for granted, right? Like, how do you increase like the yield of millet? And they were just incredible people working on this problem. I grew up in Africa for about 10 years. And uh, one day we got the opportunity to come to the States. And that's when we made this move. And, you know, I feel like I'm living the American dream now, man. Wow. So take me back to how old were you then? You were 10 years old when you moved to the U.S.? Yes, I was 10 years old, moved to the U.S. I had grown up essentially on the equator. It's like 100 degrees every day. It's just a question of if it's rainy or not. And I remember landing in New York City. This is, you know, 2000. It's the summer. And I get off and everyone is wearing shorts. And my reaction is like, oh my gosh, I'm freezing. How can people be wearing clothes like this in the summer? It was a little bit of a culture shock and a weather shock, I'll tell you. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. That's crazy. Now, two questions we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you pick as a founder and entrepreneur. First one is, what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about I'm sure many of your previous guests have talked about uh, Jeff Bezos. And I'll say, you know, the Jeff Bezos that I admire is really the, the steward of Amazon through its ITO in its early days. It's maybe emblematic of where I am in the business building journey with all of our teammates at WiseEye. But, you know, it's about hard decisions and focus and that obsession about doing best for the customer day in and day out. And the letters and everything that he's written has been deeply inspiring for me personally. Nice. I love it. Such a good call out. Amazon is such an incredible brand. I was just listening to a talk about, you know, monopolies and breaking monopolies and talking about how Amazon is in this very unique place where there's no consumer harm. Consumers actually love Amazon and they don't feel any of that harm or potential harm from them having a monopoly on the market. So it's just a fascinating company. I'm 100% with you. And I, I quote it often, which is like, we should be aspiring to build products that are priced as such, that are so good for the customer, that it is almost irresponsible for them not to be a member. And I think that's what they did with Prime. And I just love that so much. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. All right. What about books? Outside of an Amazon-related book, what book would you say has had the greatest impact on you as a founder? This can be a business book or just a personal book that influenced how you view the world? Yeah, I think it's emblematic of where we are in our business building journey. But I am rereading uh, Patrick Lencioni's Advantage regularly. I think, you know, Building a business, a startup is a team sport and, you know, team first companies and cultures end up winning. So I just think so much about how well are we communicating and building the team day in and day out. So that, that's my, uh, you know, go to all the time. Nice. I haven't read that yet, but adding to my Amazon list now. Love it. <laughs> Amazon, I guess, of all ties back there. Anyways. There you go. There you go. 
<laughs> nice. And let's, uh, let's talk about the origin story. So what was it like in the early days of the company? Yeah. So, you know, every founder talks about how unique their business is. I say YSAR really has a very unique journey. This is a business that's actually eight and a half plus years old now. We were a bootstrap company for the first six and a half years. We were on the ground learning the business, going in with a much smaller idea than what we do today. It's funny enough, but we actually started out working with myself and my co-founder, Jay, on personality assessments and predictive analytics. It's a thing that I have to always call out. It's a very small part of what we do today. And you know, I always say this, I was actually a skeptic of personality assessments, but working with Jay and working with large consultants that were helping Fortune 500s, we saw a pattern and a trend, which was that you know the Baines and McKenzie's of the world could join an organization, bring about change, help align people for roles that they were more excited about. And that's what inspired us to say, wait a second, how can we support small businesses that could never afford Bain? It wasn't the personality assessment alone. It was more so the consulting, the mindset of helping align these companies. And so we started off on this journey of uh, helping a local uh, movie theater think through how their roles were aligned or not, and if they could hire the right people for it. And that just led us down this question of, you know, or this journey of asking many questions, like, like the consultants that we were asking why, asking why. And, you know, fast forward, here we are today with what I would describe as the most personalized online hiring platform built for small businesses. We speak their language, we give them support, we're here to help them hire, and then uh, ultimately grow their business at the end of the day. Nice. I love that. Now let's talk a little bit about that journey of going from a bootstrap company to a venture capital company. In the early days, were you diehard against venture capital? Because I do see that, you know, from some of the guests, online entrepreneurs in general, there's some who are very, very into bootstrap businesses and don't want to do venture capital businesses. What's been your experience there and interviews there? Yeah, no, I, I definitely like know what you're, what you're alluding to in, the, in like the audience or like the ecosystem that we work in. But I was of the mentality that we wanted to make sure we had product market fit and true alignment and like a no-brainer, you know, level of product market fit before we really went on this journey. And we actually went on the journey of going from a bootstrap company to a, a venture back company in the open with our team. You know, we I think back to like a prior business that I founded and all the lessons that I learned through that business and, and the sale of it. You know, we wanted to build a culture where you know everyone was voting yes that this is a change in the business and they're excited for it. So we went from this journey of a small team where about you know we, we got to about thirty people when we were bootstrapped and every person was a shareholder in the business and we we talked a lot about the opportunity and I think ultimately you know if you think about any of the things that we've even talked about before the call or this it's it's about alignment it's about the shared vision the outcomes and we had to make sure that all of us agreed that is this a net positive for the universe, if we go on this very different, very arduous journey, the entire company said, yes, we were actually at an offsite when we made the decision. That, and it, it, was, it, was, it was incredible because we were in one industry at that time, helping you know, several thousand people get jobs over the course of a year. You know, today, we're in a dramatically different world and we're all excited about the mission, the vision, the outcomes where thousands of people get jobs on our platform every single month, which is just so exciting. Take us back to your psychology as you were you know, brainstorming on making that decision. What was going on through your brain? And how did you end up making the decision to go the venture capital route? Yeah, it, it really came down to where customers were taking us and where the teams just saw so much more opportunity. You know, capital was the constraint. The team and our time was the constraint. You know, we were having so many conversations with customers about, hey, you know, can you help me with this challenge beyond hiring? And we just kept hearing this pattern again and again. And that's really what gave us a lot of confidence to say, wow, 
customers are saying this, the team is saying this, we have such an incredible potential and we're not fulfilling it simply because of this constraint. And that's really what, you know, ultimately gave us a lot of confidence. I'll be the first one to say this to any of your listeners, which is, um, you know, we likely had product market fit several years previously. And maybe, uh, maybe you know, that's a hard-earned lesson, but I'm so glad we went through it. And, and, and you know, now we're just so much more set up for success with the market that loves what we're doing, a team that's excited and fully aligned, essentially. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's, it's a very non-traditional path, I'd say, from a lot of the companies that I typically speak to. And I think just a lot of the tech ecosystem out there today, what we typically see is, you know, you have an idea, uh, you quit Google with that idea, you know, raise a few million dollars, or there's a product, and then you have to start making your way into market from there. So it's a really cool approach that you've taken. I can see why investors and, and see why you're so excited about it. I'll say this, that in today's market, right, where we're valuing and thinking a lot about, you know, efficiency, unit economics, I think bootstrap businesses have an inherent advantage because at the end of the day, we're, we're customer funded, right? Like the economics work and it's all about just scaling it thoughtfully. So that, that's a big advantage for us today. Yeah, I really like this crossover too. And I think we're going to see more and more companies do it where you, know, you, you do remain a bootstrap business for a pretty long time, you know, four or five years, really get product market fit, you know, really build a team. And then when you come to these things, you say, okay, everything's working. We just need some gasoline to dump on the fire and, and keep everything growing at a, at a faster rate. I think we're going to see more and more of those types of deals as opposed to like the two dudes who quit Google and you know, have a startup idea. I think we'll see it. And I, I think one thing I would like flag for anyone that's like even thinking about this or going through this journey, it's, it's capital, yes, but I think it's also perspective. And I think that's like a part of venture capital that like is often not discussed enough, which is like, it's a partner. It's like a, it's a marriage in a sense, right? You want to be thoughtful with who you bring on, who you work with. You know, in, in, in our journey, we now have partners that have done the journey ahead of us. And, you know, we get to fast forward all their hard earned lessons. I mean, I tell you, I feel like I'm five times smarter than I was even like two years ago. And it's because of that partnership and, you know, ensuring that we don't make the same mistakes as others. So definitely, I think there's more to venture capital than just the capital itself, the partnership, the professionalizing, the, uh, you know, just the, just the journey and like needing support throughout it. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Now, I know you've mentioned a few numbers there in terms of number of customers that you had in the early days, but what does it look like now? And what numbers can you share just to demonstrate the growth and traction that you're seeing? Yeah, happy to share. You know, first off, Openness is one of our, our core values. It's not about just the what, but the why behind it. And we, you know, I, I hop on calls like this to talk a lot about the business, not only for you know customers, but also like the team that we want to build and grow. You know, this is a business that started out in in a single industry in real estate. Today, we're in about thirteen industries. We're focusing in industries where hiring may be ebbing and flowing, and so we're always like you know moving and navigating around that, especially in this macro environment. In a given month, we'll have thousands of customers making a hiring decision on the platform. In total, we've helped almost 18,000 customers with making a hire. And those are small businesses on Main Street, which is exactly what gets us excited about, you know, waking up in the morning and just, you know, continue to chip away at this really big opportunity. Wow, that's amazing. And what do you attribute to that success? How'd you pull it off? I'm sure there's a long list of things you got right, but you had to pick maybe like two or three things that you just really nailed. What do they are? I think, you know, you go back to one of the top questions that you asked, which is like, you know, what, what kind of drives us? It's that customer obsession. You know, we're building a product that it exists in some form for enterprises as applicant tracking systems. But, you know, if you were to look us up on our website, you would not see that until like page five, because ultimately we're building a product that has a job to be done. We're solving a problem that customers had yesterday, and we're doing it in a way that I think is just 10 times better than doing it themselves, aka posting a job, trying to hire on their own. Along the way and through those hard years as a bootstrap founder, you know, we built things that 
but did not seem like they would scale. And I think that actually gives us a lot of like long-term potential because we've built systems. For, you know, one thing Fred and I and chatted about is we actually partner our customers, not just with software that speaks their language, but a team of hiring coaches. We have people on our team that have worked with hundreds of customers in, in an industry that our customers are in, and they get to fast forward their knowledge, much like the VCs that we were talking about. So you could sign up today as a new customer. We would have worked with thousands of people that are in your exact same shoes, and we can give you all the contents you need so you can you know, make that hire just a little bit faster and grow your business. It's that magic, I think, of software and service that really helps us win. Nice. That's super interesting. It kind of reminds me of the company Bench.co. Are you familiar with them? Ah, yes. Yes. What they are doing in bookkeeping is exactly analogous to what's happening for us in hiring, which is it's not the software. It's also the individual that's proactively supporting you. Love it. Nice. Yeah, I can see that. And I'm a customer of Bench. Uh, they're not a client, but they're, uh, I am a customer and I have been for five years and I love it. So I can, I can see the crossover of the value this brings on the hiring side. Yeah, we actually, just to like tell you a little bit more about Bench, a lot, we have ex-ventures on our team because of like how mission-oriented we are all about helping small businesses. So I just love that you flagged that, man. <laughs> nice. Now talk to me a little bit about community. So how do you approach building community? Is it all you know, small businesses together or do you have it segmented out into industry? You combine those industry communities together. Yeah, we've actually found, when you think about SMBs and if you were to step back a little bit, you know, yes, you're operating in a business-to-business setting, but SMBs are entrepreneurs. They're people at the end of the day. And I think thinking about much more like the B2C community building effort is far more, you know, just a faster way to grow, faster way to like really like earn trust. So the way that we grow is really by thinking about our customers at the industry level, at the sub-industry level. Like it's very different if you think about, you know, litigation lawyers versus patent attorneys. You know, there are actually pockets on the internet today where you can find specific, specific niches. And so one of the ways that we grew as a bootstrap company back in the day was to start with small communities, delivering a product and service that could earn word of mouth referrals, and then building around that community, investing in it, going to their events, hopping on their podcast, giving them content. And that was really the bread and butter of how we got started. Today, we do this in dozens of industries and dozens of like communities. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I've met. And how did you identify these communities early on? And like, where were they? Were these Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, Reddit? Like, what were those communities? And then how did you navigate kind of immersing yourself in these communities and not coming across as very salesy? Because I'm in some communities on the B2B market. And the second someone comes in and has any like whiff of being promotional, you just get roasted and like they're kicked out of the community, basically. So yeah. You, know, that? you have to bring more to the community for sure. I think that's the mantra. You always have to be there to serve that community regardless of their customers. The funny backstory here, Brad, is that actually when we started out, the first industry that we ran real estate, which you know today just is a humming background like industry for us, it actually was going through a pretty big like just structural change. And I think that's like the first thing if, if you're like someone in the audience thinking about like how to approach the problem, go to market. You know, this is an industry where realtors were doing all the jobs and we're now starting to form their own companies. And this was like in the like, you know, like post, you know, 08 kind of re- recession uh, timeline. And there was actually a book written by Gary Keller of Keller Williams that advocated for something akin to like our product and our hiring process. And so first off, it was finding a community or a group of niche customers that were really receptive to this very different thing that we were doing, whether you're forming a new category or whatever the case. And then really like going out and seeing how they're organically using this. You know, they may actually be using things that are part of your feature stack or whatever the case. 
I remember the early, early days after we identified realtors, the hook for them was actually our personality assessment. And so, you know, my co-founder was the author of the personality assessment, the disc assessment. So we actually went so far as to go into the industry media, hop on, you know, any podcast that would be interested in talking about, you know, the disc assessment and hiring for real estate. Like, that's how niche we went, because I think in the early days, you have to be willing to do that work and then build systems that let you scale. So back to like your bigger point, how do we find them? It was a lot of time just navigating the internet. I mean, you think about, you know, you think about like, you know, what Ben Thompson from Stratechery talks about. The internet is this just massively different world that we were in before, where you can find any niche community out there. While you and I are talking, there's a, you know, dental practice where five dentists are getting together to talk about like their online marketing. That's a community right there. And you can latch onto it and find it, which I just think is incredible. So a little bit of a long-winded answer, but it's a lot of hard work. You do the research, you find it, and you have to be ready to like get rejected. And that's okay, because your goal is to really add value. And that's how I think you build long-term trust-oriented relationships. Nice. I love that. Super tactical and useful advice there. Now let's talk about category creation. And I know we touched on this in our pre-interview, but what are your general views when it comes to market category and just category creation in general? Yeah. And again, I say like, you know, obviously my, our views are limited to like the SME kind of B2C world, but I think category creation is very arduous and a long-term oriented commitment that you have to make as like, you know, a founding team. You know, obviously it's so exclusively needed in like the enterprise B2B setting, you know, where it's ultimately for you as founders, you as, you know, entrepreneurs to storytell around the challenges for what the existing legacy categories are, introduce your new framing, recognize that like the storytelling is you starting the work, but you're going to need competitors to come along with you. You're going to need a community of users to come along with you. It's ultimately the customers and, you know, the analysts of the world that are going to coin the phrase and, and really like solidify all your hard work. But that's how I would, I would think about it, which is like, it's a commitment. It, you may not be right on day one and be open-minded to partnership along the way from customers and competitors to really help form a brand new category. Super interesting. Now, going back to that bench example. So with bench, you know, for me, they did displace a fractional bookkeeper that we're working with. Yeah, they did get eliminated the, the cost, you know, of the note brainer. I didn't have to work with them anymore. And I could just pay bench a few hundred bucks a month and everything was taken care of. Yep. You saw the same thing here. You know, is there a segment of the population that's going to be for this market as they adopt your platform? In our case, it's actually we're forming a brand new market in some sense. You know, the alternative for a small business versus Wisehire is to go about the journey of hiring all on their own. It's scary enough as it is, but small businesses don't have enough time. And so what they're really finding with Wisehire is something that lets them get back to what gets them excited about their business, their passion, not the back office. Our job is to do all the hard work and busy work behind the scenes, give them the context to make the right decisions. And so in that sense, we, you know, we're essentially helping small businesses to get the same quality experience as the Fortune 500s that they often compete with, that have recruiting resources and have staffing dollars. That's the David and Glad story that we play with. And thankfully, you know, we're just helping small businesses uh, you know, level the playing field a little bit. Have you ever used the language that you're democratizing hiring? I feel like that's I, the... All the time. All of the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see it in your case, right? Because the, the big Fortune 500 companies have big hiring teams. They can manage all this stuff themselves. But the small business, that's not an option for them. And yeah, on their end, it sounds like they're just doing it on their own, right? But doing it on their own. And for them, it's a game of you know luck and chance versus skill. Because if you think about those Fortune 500s, they have a machine that is built to you know process resumes, run the interview process, 
you know, the conversations that we have with customers is teaching them these best practices in an easy and accessible way. And I think that's why it's like, we're just getting started and democratization is that large, large, you know, BHAG that we have. Nice. I love that. Now, let's talk about challenges. So I'm sure in the course of your journey so far, you've encountered a couple of challenges. If we had to pick one major challenge you face, and how do you overcome that challenge? I'll go back and take you actually to probably what was the most anxiety-inducing time for not just us as a company, but everyone. You know, the early months of the pandemic. We were a bootstrap company in 2020. And that was a time where I think a lot of our principles that guide us were really, really solidified. We were an online hiring platform helping, at that time, just customers in one industry, real estate. We were actually getting ready to launch into a second industry, which was going to be accommodations, which we actually very quickly, you know, because we're a small startup, pivoted away from into actually three other industries, mortgage, legal, and insurance. And those industries, that expansion, that like, you know, sitting back, thinking about strategy and expanding our addressable market helped us grow through the early months of the pandemic. But the other thing that it really taught us was that, you know, ultimately, this was a, you know, customer-oriented, small business, passionate brand and team that when we were going through this almost like, you know, March and April freefall, like everyone else in the, you know, online hiring world, we stepped back and, you know, thought about the customers first. You know, things that we did then inspire us for where I think we're going. You know, we went so far as to, you know, as a bootstrap company, we were having the same challenges as our customers. How do I make payroll? How do I get to the other side of this? What is going on? We actually went so far as to build a online, it's going to sound crazy, but an online PPP loan program portal for our customers. Because our wow. customers, if you think about that David and Goliath journey of, you know, Fortune 500 versus SMBs, they had no idea how to navigate this. They were being turned away by, you know, the big banks and they had nowhere to go. And, you know, we were in that same journey as them. And, and it was almost our responsibility to give them anything and everything to get through that. And so that was a tough time for us. It was a tough time for so many people. Um, for our customers, it was one of their you know, scariest moments. And I think the hard work that we did there inspires us for what our potential really is. And that's why we almost frame the journey as hiring and beyond, because our customers now trust us to do so much more, and they're pulling us in that direction. Super smart. And how are you seeing buyer behavior change right now with everything that's going on in the, uh, the world? Um, obviously, I think that's you know, probably felt more with companies, but I'm sure SMBs are being and so. Are you seeing buying processes or the buyer journey you know, slowed down at all? Or how has that been impacted? Yeah, this is actually one of the things that we think a lot about. And, and I talked to this about with our team or anyone that's joining often, which is, you know, we're a small startup that gives us a lot of nimbleness. And our commitment to the team is always to think about, you know, the macro environment around us and to, you know, pivot as we need to from, you know, while we may have, you know, 11 to 13 industries live, you know, in the next, you know, six months, we're going to commit to four industries that we feel very strong about. And so we always like take a look at that macro context, keep it in mind, but then look at the micro of what's happening in fitness is very different than what's happening in mortgage, as an example. Last year, we actually used that type of analytical framework to pause our incremental investment in some industries that we thought would be really, really impacted by, you know, the interest rate policy. You know, that was, it wasn't too, it was pretty much a no brainer. And I'm glad we did it because by moving those resources, we continue to go grow through that period. And, you know, that's how I think we build resilient businesses because you have to always have, you know, several, you know, steps of your strategy planned out in, in some sense. 
And have you ever had any industries that you were super bullish on and you thought it'd be a home run and it just didn't work out and you had to wind down? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think this gets to how we navigate because when we wind down an industry, it's more so we're going to always support the community and customers that are there. You know, our platform is built to be a general purpose hiring solution, but we customize it. We've made that investment. We're not going to turn off the website for that small segment. So, you know, that story that I just shared about mortgage is a great example where, you know, today we're not spending advertising or going to events for mortgage because of the state of that industry. But those customers can walk in the door. And I think that's how you build long-term relationships. I will say there have been industries where I've been skeptical. We've done the research and done the experiments and I've been wildly surprised with them. And a great example of that is fitness where, you know, following, uh, you know, 2021, 2022, we did some research. We started to work with some, uh, you know, franchise fit- fitness organizations. And I have to be the one to say that I played the devil's advocate in the conversations. We ran the experiments and then I gladly got in front of our company and said, I was wrong and I'm so glad I'm wrong because this is a fun industry for us to support. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love that. And another question I wanted to ask is just about pressure to move up market and go enterprise. So a lot of the companies that I work with, a lot of the founders I speak to, that seems to be like the holy grail for them. You know, they want to do enterprise. Investors want them selling enterprise and, and everyone's you trying to get there. Have you ever felt that pressure and temptation or is SMB just so central to everything that you do that it's never even really crossed your mind that much? It's a question that comes up often. And we're actually going through a little bit of this right now. And it's, it's actually these to fun discussions, which is, you know, if you step back, whether like, you know, you're, you're one of the listeners thinking about like starting a business or someone that's like pondering this question, you know, the majority of venture dollars go into enterprise B2B because it is the, you know, most reliable, high quality revenue you can find, right? But I think there's now been a few great examples in SMB land and mid-market land, especially in the last couple of years that have gone public, that have shown there is a different playbook in SMB land. It requires you to be multi-product and be a platform, but it's an incredible journey if you can get through it. We are principally focused as our mission and vision on Main Street. We started out by building a platform for that entrepreneur that's hanging up a shingle and starting a business. We've followed the journeys of these customers over the last eight-some years. And today, we're actually also starting to work with larger franchise companies. And that's actually about as high as I think we'll get because, you know, for anyone that's making that transition up, you have to realize the feature requirements, your product strategy has to change because your user is going to change. And I think that often leads to a lot of false starts with some companies where they will go from SMB land, go up mid-market or go up too quickly and realize, wow, we're building for a completely different customer that has completely different like needs. And uh, all of a sudden, all that investment that we made back in the day that we thought would be applicable for the future really isn't. With hiring, what we have found is with franchises or you know single locations, small businesses, it is the same problem, the same challenge. And that's why our team is so excited because we get to work with someone from their first hire to their hundredth hire. And we're just getting started on the journey. Nice. That's awesome. Did you have any investors when you were trying to have those conversations, trying to push you towards going to enterprise real? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's super fair for investors to ask the questions and push in that direction, right? Because again, what is the history of software startups? You know, because if, if you step back and think about software startups and the history of it, you know, today, B2B SaaS has become very much a science than an art. And I think it's so fair for investors to ask the questions that are based and grounded in that science of how do we, you know, build a high ARR growth machine with, you know, this much net dollar expansion and this many sales reps or whatever the case. Super fair to get the question. And I think for any entrepreneur that's working on small business land, you know, I would look at examples of Toast or Zero or Shopify to really, really understand that 
you know, SMBs need and deserve great products. It's all about distribution and how you find them. And I think this community-oriented strategy is how you do so. And you know, we're just excited to follow in the footsteps of some great, great companies. Do you consider what you do then community-led group? I guess without like the buzzword, I'm seeing that term more and more you know, talked about on LinkedIn. Do you consider it CLG or... <laughs> we have a form of this. I, you know, I'm actually curious to think about like the right way we'd, we'd like, you know, frame it. But essentially, this is the next level of organic growth for... SMB-oriented companies, but even like, you know, B2B, like larger companies, which is ultimately, if you give more to the community than you take, you're building a virtuous cycle where you're going to earn word of mouth, you're going to earn referrals. We did this in the early days with real estate and now with many other industries where there's actually coaching and community programs that are always taking place. By being someone that is there for that community, giving them a solution that's specific to their needs, you can become a part of those communities. And today, I, I mean, I'll happily share this, you know, because we send this in the public, but we grow about 10 to 15% in a month through word of mouth in communities, specifically with coaching organizations or partnerships. It's definitely something I think a lot of other companies are pursuing, but it's all about the beauty of vertical SaaS, where, you know, there is a vertical and many, many niches in it. And it's your job as an entrepreneur to go find those niches and build a team around that growth machine. Nice. Love it. Last question here for you before you wrap. Let's zoom out into the future. What's the three-year vision? And uh, what are some of those you know, crazy random industries that you may be into? I love the question. First off, we are in a journey of supporting customers from the decision of making a hire to everything thereafter. Our customers are today taking us from wait, asking questions like, how do you do a background check to how do you run payroll or how do I get insurance? Our job is to follow customers in this journey find products and opportunities. And I'm super excited about something that we have coming. As far as industries go, here we have to be really thoughtful because ultimately we have to also build a very resilient business. So the bar for us to actually enter more industries gets higher and higher. It's all about the size of the industry, how much hiring takes place there. But there's some industries that are just like starting to like pick up steam and really grow that we get excited about. We're watching them, we're studying them. So, you know, I'll get back to you with like exact names. But for now, it's just focusing on the ones that we're at and just following the customer journey. Smart. You're leaving us wanting more, so we have to bring you back on. Say, <laughs> so, this has been so much fun. Unfortunately, we are up on time. Before we wrap up here, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they go? Yeah, check us online, uh, wisehire.com. We're on LinkedIn, always working in the open, talking about the, the work that we're doing. And I would love for anyone that's interested to reach out and uh, possibly uh, join our team. Sid, thanks so much. This has been a blast. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing your vision and talking about what you're building here. This is all super cool and wish you best of luck. Thanks for having us, Brad. Really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Keep in touch.